Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. I told you you were going to see Jesus in a different light. Perhaps a new way of what it looks like to go from ash to beauty. I loved that line, until the entrance of the one we call love. Until the entrance of the one we call love. God has said something to us in the book of Colossians that's very fitting. And uh, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to have a conversation with Jesus. Maybe out there beside the creek that he made. Maybe on the green grass that he clothed. Maybe looking up at the sky and watching the, the picture in the sky that he painted for you where he just wants to communicate his love to you. Some of you need to say, Jesus, would you come help me with my ash? Some of us, tonight, it's a, it's, it's a moment where you get to thank him for the beauty that he's already created within you. The Colossians chapter 3 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Students, I want you to understand something. You heard it tonight in worship. You heard it in the sound of the chains. Every single one of us came out of the womb a sinner. There's not, well, I, I've always been a Christian. I've always known God. That's a lie. That's not in the Bible. The Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. No one had to teach you how to lie. No one had to teach you how to steal. No one had to teach you to look back at authority and say no. That was intrinsically within us because one man sinned, all men have sinned. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And what I want you to understand something is there's this myth, there's this lie that I come to RVR, I come and I hear messages, and I, there's something that happens to my flesh. There's nowhere in the Bible where God says that he will do anything to your flesh. He doesn't fix your flesh. There's nowhere where he says, okay, I'm going to take your flesh and I'm going to do something new with your flesh. No, the Bible says you are dead, stay dead. What he does say is I will come and I will give you my spirit and you will come alive in Christ, not in you. And I don't know what, why, for some reason, so, I've had so many students, specifically intellectual students, go, oh, I'm trying to intellectually get there. I'm trying to intellectually reason and figure it all out. And I'm like, That's, there's nothing wrong with understanding. God gave you a mind to reason and to understand. But eventually, you have to come to grips with the fact that I'm dead and I need Jesus. He says, for you were hidden in Christ. And then verse 4 of, of Colossians chapter 3 says, when Christ who is your life. When Christ, who is your life, 
appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This whole idea of my life is out of control, my life is messed up, I need to be fixed, I need to get better, I need to be better with this, I need somebody to come help me with this, it's all a lie. Stop it. Stop it. That's Satan's lie to you. The Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins, and you will stay that way until you surrender and let Jesus come rescue you. And let Jesus come make beauty from the ash. Does that make sense? Well, to those of you in the room, you go, okay, well, I've given my life to Jesus. Are you saying I'm still dead? Nope. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is I who no longer live. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Does that make sense? Students, listen. Jesus loves you. There's nothing that you have done that's too ugly, that's too dark, that's too filled with despair. There's nothing that's happened to you that Jesus can't make beautiful. He is all power. And he loves you. And our invitation to you tonight is, will you just run to him? And as I said just a second ago, it literally might be just just a prayer, a plea of Jesus. I don't know how to find you. Will you come find me? August 21st of 2018, I sat in a man's garage who was addicted to heroin, who was abusive verbally and physically to his wife. She's been attending our church for 10 years. Every Sunday morning, almost, it seems that here comes Kim coming down the aisle going, John G., I'm done. I'm done. I can't, I can't stay in this house. I can't stay. I said, I say, are, you in, are you in danger? Are, is your safety, are you in harm? And she's like, no, it's not like that. Why has he got to be so mean? And I kept looking at her going, listen, Kim, I just understand that Jesus knows, Jesus loves you. You are his child. And if you will just obey his word, he is going to make something beautiful from this mess. And I don't know how he's going to do it. But, but let's just pray. Let's pray that God will rescue your husband. So many people loving on her husband, Scott. We would see him in the community. He's got one arm, and I never understood why. Until the day I made an excuse for him to come help me on my truck. And I backed into his garage on August the 21st at 9 a.m. And we worked underneath my pickup truck. And this one-armed dude began to school me with what he could do with tools. And, and I heard the F-bomb over and over again. And I heard cuss words. And, and I heard all kinds of stuff. And, and, we, and I was just the whole time just trying to love him. And just trying to be Jesus to this man. Because he was wrapped up in so many chains. From 9 a.m. until 12.35 that afternoon, we worked on my truck, and it was completed. We were cleaning up the tools, and he said, all right, John G., come on in. Let's, let's step into my office. I guess you and I need to have a serious talk. We walked into his shop, and we sat down, and, and literally, I'm sitting in, in like a, a car seat, not like a baby car seat, but like a car seat, and, and Scott was sitting in, in, some, in some truck seat on the floor. And he began to tell me about how his dad died when he was young. He began to tell me about his brother who was murdered. He began to tell me about the anger that flooded in and filled his soul. 
and he no longer wanted to live. And at 26 years of age, high on who knows what, drowning it out with alcohol, he hops on a motorcycle and goes as fast as he can intentionally into a guardrail, flipping over, the bike flipping with him, trying to, to either take his life from the, from the guardrail or the tree. And in, in so doing, his arm gets tangled up inside the spoke of the front of the motorcycle and just gets absolutely mangled. Miraculously, Scott survives. Now he's handicapped. They had to amputate his arm. Bitter, angry, frustrated, mad. I have no reason to live. I do not want to live. And he lived that way from 27 years of age until something happened this past February. We were doing a marriage retreat within our church, inviting couples to join us at a retreat. It's February. People get the flu. Every bed was filled. Every room was filled. And I said, listen, I know stuff's going to happen. I I'm just asking you, church, if you would like to come, would you just please sign a waiting list? Because I don't want any room to be empty. And here comes Kim as soon as the service is over. She's bawling. She meets me down front. And she's like, Johnji, I got to try. Put my name on that list. I said, Kim, I believe God can rescue your husband from himself. I believe he can. Let's pray. Other women in our church gathered around, and we prayed. Monday, she said, I'm going to talk to him tonight in a text message. Tuesday, she sends me cry faces, emoji. He said no. I said, I'm not giving up. I'm dropping my kids off at youth group, and I'm coming to your house. Will you be home? Yes. Will he be home? I'll make sure of it. I knock on the door at 7.30 on Wednesday, the night that uh, th there was like a fight going on inside the house. I knock on the door. He yells, won't you get the door? Calls her some name. She's sitting down. She says, Scott, I think it's for you. How the beep, 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 do you know that? I can hear all this through the windows in the front door. He comes to the door and yanks it open. And he goes, oh, it's John G. I said, hey, Scott, what's up, bud? He said, what you doing here? I said, in the neighborhood. I said, I came to ask you something tonight. He said, come on in. He's sitting down on the couch. He's putting one shoe on, putting the other shoe on. I said, Scott, I don't know why, but there have been some people who had to back out of our marriage retreat. And I'm coming tonight to personally invite you to join me and my wife on the mountain with 48 other couples. I was sitting on like the sofa, but like the arm of the sofa. She was sitting here, and he was sitting out of the corner of my eye. He stood up fast. I could tell there was just tension in the room. He stood up, and he walks over to me, and everything within me thinks I'm getting ready to get hit. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm just thinking, okay, just take it, just take it. And I, and I stood up, and I turned and faced him. And I, I, I mean, he was just angry. I didn't know what he was going to do, what he was going to say. And he walks over to me, and he slings his one arm at me just like this. He says, I'll be there. Thanks for personally inviting me. He shows up. I gave him a name tag, Scott Hickman. Put it around his neck. I said, man, I'm proud of you. I said, I know that the enemy is real, and he's telling you you're worthless and you don't belong here. And I want you to know that I think there's value in you, and Jesus loves you. And he's got something he wants to do in your heart. 
this weekend. We go through Friday night. We go through Saturday morning. My wife and I intentionally went over to the Peaks of Otter Lodge in Roanoke, uh, and, and we sat down beside them at lunch and had a sandwich and some chips and some iced tea, and, and we shared the gospel with Scott once again. Because remember that day, back in his shop, I shared the gospel with him. When he said, let's get serious, remember that business moment? I forgot to tell you about that. He's telling me all the stuff that's gone wrong and all the anger and all that kind of stuff. And I said, Scott, I want you to cry out to God right now. He said, I don't know how to do that. I said, just like you're talking to me, you cry out to him. He said, all right, you want me to cry out to God? I'll cry out to God. And he got out of his seat, he got down on his knees, and he just started bawling. Said a couple cuss words. He said, God, I don't know how to find you. Will you come find me? I'm like, dude, it doesn't get any more real than that. I prayed for him. I left. Now it's February. He said, yes, we're on the mountain. We're eating lunch. He looks at my wife, my sweet bride, and he goes, God could never love me. With everything I've done, there's no way God could love me. We go into another session, another large group session. Scott doesn't show up. I'm standing up front, and I look at Kim, who's sitting there, and she's got an empty seat beside her. Everybody else has got a couple. They're, they're beside each other, and she looks at me, and I said, I don't know where he is. I don't know where he went. And she just goes, I don't know. What we didn't know is that we had created a prayer room downstairs in the basement for people to go and sit and have conversations with the Almighty. Sometimes you just need to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, you know? Scott ended up down there in that room, and he's walking around just trying to figure out why is it that all of those people up there seem to have a relationship with you and seem to find some joy in life, but I can't. And I don't understand why I don't sense you. I don't understand why, why I just don't sense you, that you're real. Why can't I find you like everybody else has? He sits down in a chair in this little room, and there's some reflection things going on. There's some, there's some quiet music with some worship instrumental playing. And beside him was a mirror. Beside him was this large mirror. He sits down, and he said, John G., I'm telling you right now, it was almost like God spoke to my heart. I looked into the mirror, and God said, the problem is not me. It's what you're looking at. God was saying, dude, I love you. The reason is you. You are what is prohibiting this. Would you just let go? Would you just stop trying and just let me? The session ends. People start moving. People go downstairs to the bathroom. Scott makes his way upstairs. I had a row of chairs just like this, but for some reason I turned all the chairs this way facing this way. I turned all the chairs this way facing this way, and and it was just something within me that said, turn the body on themselves. And I said, I just want you to be you. I want you to share your pain, your frustration. If somebody just wants to give God a shout of praise, you do so. But let's just see what God wants to do in this moment. Scott is sitting right over here in this corner with his wife. And a man in the back of the room who six months earlier had a brain bleed, which is a major hemorrhagic stroke. He almost died, but he's living. And he can barely talk. He's, he's kind of dysfunctional. But yet he's there with his bride. And he stands up in a yellow coat. And he says, I just want to say, thank you that I'm still alive with her. And he gives praise to Jesus for the miracle in his life. Another man stands up, praises God for what happened there that, re- that, that retreat. Another woman stands up, and then Scott stands up. 
He's wearing a yellow Pittsburgh Steelers hat. I walk over to him and I hand him the microphone. And I backed up. In a room of 48 people, he put the microphone up to his lips and said, I'm lost. And I don't know what to do. I said, Scott, right now, if you're going to be that bold, I'm going to ask you to come join me in the middle of the room. And he, couldn't, he came and stood in the middle of the room, and I said, I'm going to ask some men to stand up and be men, and let's pray for our brother. And instantaneously, it was like a room full of soldiers stood to their feet, and 48 men just like bum-rushed the middle of this circle. And they all came and just laid hands on him. And men after men after men after men just started, just started praying over him. One of the third guys to pray in that circle was a guy who sat at 15 years of age across from his dad, like four feet from him, when his dad shot himself in the head. And at 15 years of age, he wiped the blood off his face. And he's found Jesus. Because God's given him purpose that his dad couldn't find. And he's now praying for the man in the yellow hat in the middle of the circle. This was a crazy moment. And I'm sitting here behind all this. There's, I can't move anymore. There's men all around me. I got a microphone in my hand. And, and people are just praying over him. And I'm like, okay, God, how do you want this to end? What is this going to look like? What am I supposed to do? And I got my arm around Scott. It kind of got silent. It was getting a little awkward. And I just leaned in. And I'm, and I'm right at his left ear. And I whisper to him. And I say, Scott, are you ready to give up? He leaned back at me and said, let's do it. I grabbed the microphone, I flipped it on with my thumb, and I brought it up through the men's hands, and I punched him in the chest right there. And when he bowed his head, the microphone was right there, and he said, dear Jesus, I give up. Come save me. It was the most radical transformation. There's nothing, there's nothing you know, some crazy prayer that, that he had to get it all right, this, this liturgy thing. It was just this genuine, sincere, I'm lost. I need help. God, would you come find me? Come rescue me. And he gave his life to Jesus in that room. Radical transformation. One month later, he falls off a ladder, breaks three ribs, messes up his wrist, sitting in the doctor's office. And they're like, dude, you got three broken ribs. Did you know you had diabetes? Do you know you got this hip thing going on? And what the mess is that lump on your neck? And he's like, I don't know. Don't worry about it. It's been there a year. I don't care. You see, he's been hyped up on meth and alcohol. He hasn't realized what was really taking place inside his body. And the doctor says, I don't like that on your neck. We need to biopsy that. It's cancer. And it's not just right there, Scott. It's everywhere. It's throughout your entire body. It's in your bones. June 24th, I go visit him in the hospital. I walk in. It's inoperable. It's imminent. His head is off to the right. He can't pick his head off the pillow. I pull my chair up right beside him, like him and me. And He's off to the side, and he and I are just looking. I sit with him for an hour, and I interview a man who's going to be in the presence of Jesus in days. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, is what the Bible says. And he was dead in Christ and had come alive in Jesus. I said, Scott, I'm going to stand up and talk about you. That happened the Saturday before I saw you on Sunday. I said, Scott, I'm, if, if God doesn't heal you, 
I'm gonna stand before people and share your story. What do you want me to say? He looked at his body and he said, Johnji, this is so temporary. This is so temporary. He said, I wanna see my friends and their kids in heaven with me and Jesus. And I said, what would you want me to tell teenagers? What would you want me to tell adults? What would you want me to tell people about your regrets? Because at 55 years of age, I know you have them. He said, why did I wait so long to give up? Why did I wait so long to give up? And he said, I guess my biggest regret is I didn't have time to shine and let people see this change that has happened inside my life. Listen, if God can radically transform Scott Hickman, he can heal you. I watched it. I watched people give their lives to Jesus this past Saturday at his homegoing celebration before I came and met you on Sunday. I wonder tonight if God wants to rescue you. I wonder if you're like Scott and you would just go, I don't know how to get there. Jesus, would you just come find me? There are counselors here who would love to talk to you. They've been talking to you all week. They've been listening to you. They've been learning your names for the sole purpose that they want you to know that Jesus knows your name. He does, and he loves you. So I'm going to pray for you. The counselors are going to be back there. Maybe you want to grab one of them on your way out. Maybe you just like, I just need to get out here and just go be silent. I'm going to ask you to go alone. Don't go with your friend. Just go, just get you and Jesus. And if you're ready to talk, you grab one of our counselors. Whatever it is that God is doing in your heart and his way of loving on you, would you just surrender and say yes to him? Students, let's pray. God, we love you tonight. God, thank you so much for such a powerful visual tonight of what Jesus has done for us in defeating sin, death, hell, the grave. There's nothing that has a grip on our lives that's more powerful than Jesus. And may tonight you set us free. I pray for doubt. I pray for confusion, for pain. God, would you overpower those chains in our lives tonight? Thank you for a Scott Hickman salvation story of what happens when one man just surrenders and you rescue. You made beauty from Scott's ash. And you love us in this room, Father, just the same. So may these students, God, truly dial you in and say yes to whatever it is you're doing in their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.